are things in, in my life that I would, and, and I've, I was always taught that you never talk bad about yourself. You know, if you're going to preach, don't, don't constantly belittle your own self. And I, I get that. And so I'm not trying to belittle myself or talk down to myself. But, you know, there are some subjects in, in the Bible or, or in church that I don't consider myself a great, uh, you know, I'm not the, the, the foremost authority of that subject. And one of them, you know, I, I look at, and, and some of these names may not mean uh, uh, anything to, to some of y'all, but, but for those of you that, that would know, when I think of a, a Vesta Mangan, she is, I think she's in her 90s, uh, her and her husband pastored the Pentecostals of Alexandria and now pastored by their son, one of our largest churches, just an incredible church, but it, it, those of you that know, when you think of Vesta Mangan, you think of a lady of prayer, you think of a prayer warrior, an intercessor. And uh, there's others that I could, I could pull with that. Um, but for whatever reason, in the, in the grand design of God, they, they asked me to speak at a prayer summit tomorrow night that's happening at headquarters. And they said, Brandon, we want you to preach on intercession. Well, I know what intercession is, but I'd rather preach on salvation. I'd rather preach on vision. I'd rather preach on the book of Hebrews. I'd rather preach on the book of Romans. It's just one of those subjects that I don't consider myself a, uh, you, you know, go ask Sister Vesta Mangan to preach on that. In all of that, someone asked me to write an article, and they said, we want you to write an article for the Pentecostal life. We want you to write it on intercession. Can I please write it on children's ministry? I know that. Can I please write it on, you know, vision? Just, just. So I've kind of got the idea that, that, you know, for whatever reason, I need to figure out what this intercession thing's all about. Have you ever noticed in church we use words that we think we know the meaning to, then later on you realize it might not be the meaning you thought? Big words. And in fact, they, they tell us and they, they kind of teach that we got to be careful. We don't always use churchy words because there's a lot of people that don't understand what those words mean. And uh, so, you know, you, you start throwing around those big dollar words like, like justification and sanctification and glorification. And what do those really mean? And intercession is one of those words like that. Now, I, I don't take the time, but I'm. I, I'm going to assume that a lot of you are like me, which is kind of dangerous, and I'm sorry that you're like me, and I apologize in advance. But I'm going to assume if I say, what is intercession? One of the foremost concepts or visual pictures of intercession is someone or even you deep in prayer, passionately in prayer, fervently in prayer, and, and, and you kind of see that fervent, passionate uh, prayer that, that just seems to be deeper than all the other prayers. Problem is, if you look up the word intercession in the Bible, the, about the only time that that word is used, it applies a, f- a few times, and not even all the time. It applies to the priests, and especially to the high priests, and then, of course, that is translated over to, to Hebrews and the fact that Jesus, he, as the high priest, makes intercession for us. He stands in the gap for us. And that's all the Bible says about intercession. 
I looked it up in the Greek. I looked it up in the Hebrew. I called Kevin Shaw, who's a phenomenal Greek scholar. I talked to him for about an hour on the phone. And you know what I came to the conclusion is? Intercession, that word, isn't really found in the Bible as we think it is. So you go and you, you look it up in the dictionary. Whatever dictionary you want to use, the internet, the, you know, uh, uh, go get your big fat dictionary. Here's what intercession is. You ready? To plead or to intercede for somebody else. If that's the case, Brother uh, Don, I have a PhD in intercession. Because when my mom got on to me and my brothers and I thought we were going to die when the belt came out, there was plenty of pleading and interceding on behalf of my brother and on behalf of myself. And it went something like this. Mama, please don't kill me. Please don't kill Brad. He didn't mean it. Really, please. You ever notice that, how you and your, your, your siblings, y'all can, I mean, absolutely be fighting and blood can be pouring out until mom gets the belt and suddenly you're best friends? You ever notice that? Yeah. Intercession. So what I want to do tonight, for lack of a better word, I want to practice on y'all because I got to go teach this lesson tomorrow and then I got to write this article. So I figured it'd be a good thing to practice on you. So we're going to practice tonight. What is intercession? See, I, 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 I'm a very pragmatic thinker. When I begin to examine a subject, I, I always want to reduce it down to its most common denominator. And I want to tell you today that intercession is not mystical and intercession is not something that only somehow qualified people can do but I want to simplify what intercession is by using the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and I want to invite you uh, to turn there with me and uh, we're going to go through Genesis 18 and there are others that we'll get to uh, towards the end of the message, other types of intercession, other places that I think we could say, hey, they interceded right there. But, but let's just start here. To set the stage, because some of this I'm going to read in, in the English Standard version, version, other parts of the verses I'll just kind of paraphrase and tell you what's happening, but keep your Bible open and see it. So the stage is this. Abraham and Sarah don't have a child. They're waiting for that promise that God promised them and it hasn't come to pass and they're waiting. And so starting in verse 1 of Genesis 18, and the Lord appeared to him. That's Abraham. First and foremost, this is one of the most important keys to intercession. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now, later on, you're going to find it, but I just want to tell you that that was a, a rhetorical question. Abraham might not have known it, but the answer had already come. Yes, you found favor in my sight. But he said, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass me by. Let a little water be brought and, and I'll wash your feet. And why don't you rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And they said, well, do as you said. 
Abraham goes quickly into the tent, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit. He, he opens the door and he says, quick, you know, grab some flour, knead it, make some bread. We've got important company coming. The Lord is here, and, and, and if you will, the angels of the Lord is here. Abraham goes to his flocks, and he picks out a, a fatted calf, and he brings it back, and he, he gives it to a young man who prepared it quickly. He takes the curds and the milk and the calf that he prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now let's, let's stop for a second. We aren't living, this is not in the days of, of, of Walmart and Schnooks and things like that. I mean, if somebody knocks at your door and says, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to eat, you know, you open up your cupboards, you find something to do. I mean, I want you to think about the time Abraham had to take. Go to a flock, pick up a, a little, you know, little calf, bring it back, Kill it, skin it, prepare it, put it over a fire. I don't know how long it takes to prepare the cut of meat he wanted, but roast it over a fire. This was a long time. It was a long process. They had to knead the dough. They had to bake the dough. They had to get it all ready. They had to take the courage and the milk and set it before them. And he's, he's just kind of watching them while they ate. He's anticipating something. And they said unto him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And this is where you have that promise. And I'm going to skip over this part quickly because this is not the direction I want to go. I want to get to what happens after. But, you know, where's your wife, Sarah? She's in the tent. The Lord says, I'll return to you about this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah is kind of overhearing things in the tent. She laughs. The Lord says, why are you laughing? And, you know, she knows. She says, you know, it's, it's after I'm all worn out and after my Lord is old, how in the world? You know, my biological clock stopped ticking a long time ago. That's kind of what she was saying. And uh, the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? And, and of course, she kind of backtracks because she's, she's scared. And she said, oh, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, yeah, you did. And, and then it just kind of, the story takes an abrupt change. And this is where I want to I go. And the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way and so you get this idea that, that, that the, the three men they stand up and in my understanding and I think most is it's the Lord and some angels that are with the Lord and they, they get up and you know how it is you're getting ready to leave somebody's house and you say you're leaving and then about an hour later you're still saying you're leaving you know that's sort of what was going on and they're standing there looking down to Sodom I could spend a lot of time talking about the differences of Sodom and where Abraham was living. I could take a lot of time to tell you about Abraham who was inside of his tent that we read at the beginning. And at the, end of, or at the, at the, at the, you know, at the door of his tent, he met with the Lord. Where later on you find Sodom at the gate, I mean you find Lot at the gate of Sodom meeting with wicked people. There's a lot of, of things you could get from this as you look at the life that Lot had chosen and the life that Abraham was in. They stand there and they look down towards Sodom. And verse 17, the only way to understand this verse is the Lord having a conversation either with himself or perhaps, if you will, if I could, if I could humanize the Lord, turning to the angels and asking them a question. It's as if Abraham is not there or perhaps Abraham didn't hear it. But the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? One thing you're gonna, I'm going to teach you tonight is that the Lord has secrets. The Lord has some things that he doesn't let just anybody in on. 
There's some things that the Lord knows and understands and plans and, and, and has prepared, but not just anybody is privy to the mind of Christ. And, and Abraham, as he's standing there, and I don't think he heard this, the Lord said, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And of course we know it's, I'm about to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes on to say, should I hide it from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and judgment so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Brother Justin, I thank you for the song choices. Again, you had no idea what I was going to preach, but the second song we sung, I'm a friend of God. That I'm a friend of God I'm, I'm thinking Israel Houghton and the writers of that I'm pretty confident they pulled that from this understanding that Abraham was a friend of God's this is key more than anything else when it comes to understanding intercession and I would like to tell you while anyone is capable of interceding not everybody gets to intercede the reason is I believe it 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 it, it first, if I could give you one, you know, kind of a list of what you need in order to be an intercessor, the first thing you need to know is you need to know God personally and God needs to know you. My, I, I say this often, my, I, one of the things that I've enjoyed being able to do is to be a police chaplain. And, and most people, when they think of a police chaplain, they think of something bad that's happened. I'm the guy that knocks on the door in the middle of the night to tell someone a tragedy's befell their family. I'm the one that goes and 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 I thank the Lord it's only happened once in my career, uh, but you know of that. But I'm the one that goes to the hospital when an officer's been been injured, and you know you're you're there to give them. But here's the thing: I, I can't just walk into the, the the hospital room of an officer that that that's had something bad happen to him and say, "Hey, I'm the chaplain. Uh, you got anything you want to talk about? You got any needs?" If they don't know me. The, 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 the strength of a police chaplain is in the relationship you make and create with the officers that you work with. And so I go ride with them. I, I, I call them up occasionally, and sometimes we just talk about deer hunting. I, I, I see them. I, I go to some of their, their, their events, like, like weddings and, and, and things like that. And, and, and you get to have a relationship so that when they need something or, or when I'm, I'm there, they, they're comfortable talking. See, I, I kind of think, and again, I'm, I'm putting some human qualities on the Lord, but I have to think it kind of aggravates the Lord when, when someone never talks to God and then suddenly needs something and then starts wailing and travailing and, and hoping God will suddenly incline his ear to their cry. But a true intercessor is one that God knows and they know God. It's about a relationship. And it's, it's proven here in the story of Abraham that I've chosen him. I, the reason the Lord said I don't want to hide this from Abraham is because he's my friend. There's some people you don't have secrets from. There's some people you're willing to, to tell them your dreams. There's some people that you have a relationship with that you say they're my friend. I'm comfortable telling them what I'm going to do. 
He's my friend. The Lord says in verse 20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. You remember back when, when, when Cain killed Abel? And then he kind of left the body out in the field or maybe even hid the body in some sort of a, a makeshift grave. And later on, you find out that the blood of Abel calls out to the Lord. All When, when people sin and when, when there's injustice in the world and when things aren't right and when a community or a city or a country or a nation, when they're not living right, that's not hidden from God. The, the voice of the innocent, the voice of the oppressed, the voice of the abused calls out to God and God says I've heard what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah again it's a bit of a of a you know taking God and putting human qualities in but he says I want to go and see for myself we know God knows everything but I want to go and see for myself if this is true I'm going to walk down and I'm going to weigh Sodom and Gomorrah on the balances of justice and if they have failed I'm going to rain down hellfire and brimstone the likes that nobody has ever seen before during or since that moment. And the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And I get this picture that, that they're beginning to leave. And Abraham is transfixed because the Lord shared with him his plan. And, and as it is in life where sometimes you say your life flashes before your eyes, it's amazing how that happens. You can have an entire conversation in a split second as, you, as your brain is trying to process the information that was just given. God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to beat Sodom and Gomorrah so far down into the ground that nothing will ever be there ever again. And this is, and, and Abraham starts thinking, but Lot's in there. Who else is in there? What is it going to be for those people in this time of judgment? And the Lord, uh, verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, If the first prerequisite of an intercessor is to be known of God and for God and for you to know God, and then the second one, if you will, is you've got to learn to draw near to God. What does James chapter 4 and verse 8 say? Draw near to God. And he will draw nigh to you. I would like to, to, to let, me, let me say, say this. If you are living a sin-filled life and you've never been saved, you're the sinner that, that, that's never come to the altar, you've never experienced the grace of God, your sins have not been washed away, and you've not been made new by His Spirit, then, then I would tell you right now that God absolutely will meet you in your depravity that you don't have to get perfectly cleaned up and you don't have to have a good track record at church and you don't have to you know, learn all the books of the Bible and learn all the things for God to listen to you. I'm telling you that in a, as a sinner, when they kneel down that first time and they say, God, I've sinned, I need you, boom, God's right there. But once you've established that salvation, God says the ball's in your court. I, I came to you a couple of the first times. He came to you at Bethlehem. He came to you at Calvary. 
He came to you at the moment of your repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But now he says, I want to see what you're going to do about it. Draw near to God and I'll draw nigh to you. He's waiting for you to make the move. I'm 100% convinced that if Abraham would not have drawn near to God, God would have kept on walking. Lot would have never been, been, been warned. The, the city would have never had a chance to repent. And I'll explain that in a minute. And Abraham would have missed his chance to be an intercessor. I wonder how many times, how many chances you and I have missed because we just failed to draw nigh to God. It's as simple as that. Just go to where he is and stand there. And he drew nigh to the Lord and he said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? When Abraham began to talk, he was not pleading with God for mercy. He was pleading with God for justice. Because justice says if you sin, you deserve the punishment. But if you haven't sinned, you don't deserve to die. So he said, Lord, are you going to let the, the righteous perish with the wicked? I mean, even when you destroyed the whole world with a flood, you saved at least Noah and his family. So maybe, suppose, suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Would you sweep it away and not spare it for 50 righteous that are in it? Be far from it, Lord. And, and, and understand, yes, there's a little bit of negotiation. And yes, Abraham is putting his life on the line, if you will, standing in front of a sovereign God. But this is not negotiation like you're going to buy a car from the used car salesman. Abraham knew and he came with humbleness. He came with a purpose. He came with and he honored the Lord. But he said, be it far from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fares the wicked far from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do that which is just? And the Lord responded. See, the, the longer I begin to look at this and the more I begin to study this, the more I realize is that intercession is not just what you do. It's how the Lord responds that makes it intercession. The word intercession literally means to plead someone's case, to stand in the gap, to intercede for someone. So the Lord says, you know what, Abraham? Because you came to me, because you're interceding, because you're thinking of someone else and not just yourself. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham said, awesome. And then his mental calculator starts to, and Sodom's not a good place. Hey, hey, Lord, behold, I know I've undertaken to speak of the Lord. Who am I but dust and ashes? But su suppose that for some reason, five of the 50 of righteous are lacking. Would you destroy the whole city because there was five missing? Uh, and the Lord said, I would not destroy Sodom if I find 45 there. 45 righteous people, I'll, I'll spare the whole city. Again, Abram spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. And the Lord said, if I find 40 righteous people, I will not, I will not do it. Abraham says, oh God, please don't be angry. I'll speak, suppose only 30 are found there. And the Lord answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. 
Abraham keeps interceding. Abraham keeps pleading his case. Abraham keeps pushing. Behold, I've undertaken to speak of the Lord to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And, and the Lord answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, let, it not, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And I just want to ask you this question. Did Abraham stop too soon? Because as far as I can tell, there was only four righteous. And I use that very loosely because the Bible later on in the New Testament only speaks of righteous Lot. But you had Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. Only four. I heard one person say, and I'm, I'm getting off subject for a second, but, but may, maybe this kind of needs to be a sermon in and of itself, but just to help you out. I find it very interesting that Lot, it, it, the, the direction that Lot went is the direction of this world. And, and it's why we got to be very careful where we hang and where we position ourselves because if we're not careful, we can, we can start by walking with Abraham and then we start looking at the well-watered plains of Sodom and then now we're in the city of Sodom and then we're in the gate of Sodom which was a place of, 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 of uh, commerce and it was a place of, of, it was kind of like that was the city council. The men that sat in the gates were the men that made the laws and the rules and, and they were the judges. And so now not only is Abraham in the city of Sodom, but he's partaking in the commerce and the government of Sodom. And, and then, you know, the story, he, he's willing to give up his virgin daughters to the d- despicable men in the city. I mean, there's a lot of bad things that are happening. But if Abraham would have just won six people, And two of them could have been the sons-in-laws that his daughters were betrothed to. So really, if he could have just won those two that his daughters liked and and then won four more, God would have spared the city. So I could preach a whole message about what Lot didn't do. But Abraham had interceded. Abraham had had pleaded with God. And the Lord listened to Abraham. And I, I find that very interesting. The Lord listened and responded. And while the Bible doesn't say it, I I think this narrative kind of lends itself to the understanding that if Abraham would have just went a little farther, God would have inclined his ear to that as well. I told you earlier that God has secrets. And and I, I, I want you to turn with me to the book of Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. I want to. I want you to catch this very, very carefully because I, I'm convinced that this might be the key to intercession. And in Amos chapter three and verse seven says, "The Lord, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets." So in this case, what is the secret? I'll tell you the secret. God was done with Israel and Judah. He was tired of their idolatry. He was tired of the way they had gone. And the Lord, the Lord had, had thought within himself and reasoned within himself. I've given Israel as, as much room as I can. I'm done. And so the Lord's secret was this. I'm fixing to destroy uh, Israel. I'm fixing to destroy Judah. I'm going to send him to captivity. But he said, I'm going to tell my secret to some. And he began to get the ear of those prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and 
and, and Obadiah and, and, and there, there's you know, all those major and minor prophets that you read. And he said, I'm going to tell you my secret because I know you and you know me. Because you've walked with me and you have a relationship with me. And, and even though the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, you know me personally. And, 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 and here's another uh, prerequisite. You've got to know the will of God. You know what the will of God is? It's very simple. One verse says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's another will of God. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. When you know the will of God, then it becomes very easy to pray God's will be done. And so when Abraham began to think about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we don't think about the Old Testament being a place of mercy and grace. You know, we kind of think of the Old Testament as God's wrath, and, and, and there's a lot of bloodshed, and there's a lot of plagues. But, but God, Bible, he says, I am God, and I change not. And while the method of salvation may change, and, and while we can talk about being in a dispensation of grace right now, I'd like to tell you that God doesn't change his mind and God doesn't change his character. And he's always been a God of mercy. And he was willing to show mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham, when he was praying, he was not asking God to do something that was outside of his will. Even though God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham understood that, that God would rather find a way to not destroy them. And let me show you how. Let's take the story of Jonah. God tells Jonah, I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh. And I believe you can, you can take Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh and kind of put them on the same uh, sinful, you, you know, parallel. And of course, Jonah said, well, I don't want them to repent because I'll go preach to them and tell them what God said. Remember, God has a secret. I'm going to destroy Nineveh. He didn't tell Nineveh, I'm going to destroy you. But he told his prophet because his prophet had a relationship with him. His prophet knew him. And, and, and Jonah, you know, he, he ran the other way, swallowed by a whale and all of that. But still, if Jonah would have decided to keep the secret, let me take you to another place. Turn to Psalms chapter 25 and, and verse 24. Psalms 25 and verse 24. Let me, let, let's, let's, let's take this, this understanding of, of the secret of God a little bit further. Psalms 25 and, or, or Psalm, okay, maybe, well, yeah, I like when I write them down wrong. Uh, Psalms 25, 14. I can't read my own handwriting. Let's do that. Psalms 25, verse 14. See, this is why I'm practicing on you, so that tomorrow I, I, I write that a little bit better and you know, I, I look a lot smarter than I really am. Psalms 25 and verse 14 says this, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Anybody here have a King James Version? All right? Brother Matt, what does is, what is the first part of that say? Say it loud. The secret of the Lord. And in my English Standard Version, there's a little note that says the secret counsel of the Lord is, is for those who fear Him. And so the understanding is the secret of the Lord is given to those that fear Him. Again, that fear is not I'm scared of God, but it's a reverence of God. It's a relationship with God. And He shows them His covenant. He shows them His plan. 
And when you know the plan of God, it's easy to pray and intercede. Now, let me take it a whole nother step. Those are Old Testament. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and hopefully if my handwriting is okay, I think it's verse 29. We'll see. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. Well, well, let's start in verse 26. Let's go back, just kind of get the stage. And have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that shall not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. This is what the Lord was saying to his disciples. I have spoken to you quietly. I have spoken to you in secrets. And darkness is not a bad thing. But, you know, it was God, the Lord, he he didn't just... You know, oh yeah, he talked to the 5,000 and the 10,000, but he reserved his plans for that small group of disciples that walked with him and communed with him and was there with him. And to that, he, he gave them his heartbeat. And he told them his secrets. There's coming a day when I'm going to return. There's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day when I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff. There's coming a day when I separate the goats from the, 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 the sheep. And, 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 but but, but I'm, I'm telling you where I, what I plan to do. I'm, I, I got to die. I know you don't understand it, but I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to die. I've got to be buried, but three days later I'll rise again. They didn't understand it. It was still shrouded in the secret, if you will. And, and, and when I arise, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come back to you, and, and I will give you that power that you, that you need. And, and all of that, he said, but when the time is right, you're going to take the secret I give you, and you're going to proclaim it in the light and on the rooftops. And Jonah, God said, tell Nineveh to repent. And if you can fast forward through the running away of Jonah and the, and the whale, Jonah had to make a decision. Do I tell the people what God is going to do? And Jonah told the city, and what did the city do? The whole city repented. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Lot would have been just half the man Jonah was, and I know Jonah has a bad ending, but just half the man Jonah was, Sodom and Gomorrah could have had a different outcome if he had just helped tell them what God wanted to do. But instead, the, the, the lot, pun intended, falls to Abraham. And Abraham begins to see what God is doing and wants to do. Abraham understands the nature of God and the plan of God. The secret was revealed, if you will. And Abraham interceded. Now, this is a, a story where the intercession doesn't have an effect. Because when Abraham interceded, the problem was is Sodom and Gomorrah had already gone too far. And Sodom and Gomorrah didn't change, and, and, and Lot certainly didn't change. I mean, maybe, okay, let, let me step off the platform so I can speculate. That way I'm not behind the, the platform and not in the Bible. But let's speculate for a moment, shall we? The angels knock on the door of Lot's house. Lot, we're coming to get you and your family out of of Sodom and Gomorrah. Get them all. 
What does the Bible say? Lot, well, first off, the men, evil men in the city, they come and they want to they, they wanna, you know, abuse the angels that are there. And, and Lot says, no, don't abuse them. They're my, they're my guests. And, you, you know, it's very important that we treat our guests right. Here's my daughters. Do whatever you want to do with them. That's a pretty depraved mind. And that, again, is how far you get when you allow yourself to walk down the path of the world. But, but just allow me to speculate, Brother Harpole, and I don't think I'm, I'm going too far. First off, Lot went and told his son-in-laws, which, which in most of your Bible translations, the King James says that they were married, but most of your other Bible translations says that they were betrothed. So it was like really their fiancés, if you will. And so he goes to his fiancés and he says, the Lord is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Come with me. And your Bible says that they laughed him to scorn. They thought he was crazy. They thought Lot was just losing his mind and insane. And they, 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 they wrote him off. But I just wonder what would have happened if Lot would have said, Angels, give me, give me, just, give me just a little bit more time. There's an incredible parable in the Bible that, that was, was touched on uh, this, last, uh, this last Sunday, I think, by Brother Jordan. It's called the parable of the keeper. When the man, when, when the, the, the man who owned the vineyard and, and owned the fruit, you know, the, the, the orchard, goes and he, he finds a tree that, that, that's growing but it has no fruit and for three years it's not born any fruit. And the, the owner of the vineyard looks at the keeper of the vineyard. He's the foreman, if you will. And he says, this tree is good for nothing. Cut it down, burn it, get rid of it. It's a freeloading tree that's just, you know, needs to go. And this is the, the parable of the keeper. The parable of the keeper is this. The, the keeper says, Lord, would you give me one more year? This is, this is Luke chapter 13 and verse 1 through 7, I believe. Give me one more year. I'm going to dig a trench around the tree. I'm going to put manure around the tree for fertilizer. I'm going to prune the tree. Give me one more year, and then if the tree's not fruitful, you can cut it down. What if Lot would have said, I, I, I failed, but give me, would, you, would, you give me, would you give me 24 hours? And I'm going to go preach like I've never preached before. I believe something might have changed. But, of course, Lot doesn't do that, and they leave, and... Lot's wife is so attached to the city, she turns around and she turns into a pillar of salt. And, and, and he has no influence on his daughters. They do horrible things. And, and Lot is lost. In intercession, there's three, there, there's three players. The first player is the, the people of Sodom. They're the, they're the ones that need saving. And what they desperately need to do is find God. But the problem is, they have no idea how. They don't even know where to start. It's the sinner. Then you have Lot. Lot's the one that, that should be making a difference and he should know better. He's, he, he's in with the people and he, he, he knows the things of God and he should have had an influence. He should have interceded for his own family but should have interceded for his city but he doesn't. And unfortunately I'm afraid that Lot actually is kind of like some of us. We're in the position where we can intercede, but we choose not to. Or we just don't think about it. Or we, 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 we let it not be a priority and we, we, we fail to do so. And so it goes to Abraham. And this, to me, becomes the key for intercessory prayer. Abraham, when God reveals the secret of what he's going to do to, Abraham, to, to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, I know Abraham and Lot, they were related, but let me just put it this way. Abraham didn't have a personal stake in that city. 
okay, blow them up. I don't care. I'm over here in the mountain. I'm over here in, in this place, and I, I've got everything going for me. I go to church. I, I've got vast flocks. I've got money in the bank. Everything's fine for me. Me and God, we're okay. I don't really care about them. But Abraham, in a split second, began to realize there's a lost and dying world over there. I'm saved. I'm okay. I'm going to make it. But Abraham couldn't escape the fact that there were hundreds, possibly thousands, and maybe more people who were lost and dying. And Abraham wasn't content to just make it on its own. And that's the true nature of intercession is when it's not about you and it's not going to help you and it's not going to make a difference for you, but you get the mind of the lost and you begin to realize they're going to hell unless something changes. The second thing that, that happened to Abraham is, is, is he put himself in the place of the sinner. He, he began to realize the outcome and the punishment of what was happening when God shows up. It ought to affect you. And I, I will tell you that I've kind of you know, tried to make it light a little bit at the beginning. But to be honest... As I begin to study and I begin to research and I begin to pray and I begin to say, God, help me understand this. And, and I really wanted to, to, to bring intercession to its most simplest format to say that intercession is not about how long you pray. Intercession even is not how fervent you pray. Because you can travail about a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily make it intercession. Okay? I've had some incredible prayer meetings where I've prayed and cried and worshipped and, 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 and spoke in tongues. And, man, I walk out and I think, man, I interceded. But, but really, I didn't intercede for anything. I was just, me and God were having a good time, good conversation, good relationship. But, but intercession is this. It's, it's when you, you realize that, that this world is dying and your family is going to hell and your, your neighbor is, is, if God doesn't, you know, if something doesn't change, God's coming back and the way that they live, they're not going to make it. And, 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 and he, he put his, himself, Abraham put himself in the place of the sinner and he pleaded, he interceded with God for a chance to save the lost. I wonder, and this is where God began to, to deal with me. When's the last time you thought about the outcome of anybody else but yourself? When's the last time you walked down your street, you talked to your neighbor, you, 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 you drove in the city, you, you went to Walmart, you went out to eat, the waiter talked to you, the waitress talked to you. When's the last time because you were had a relationship with God and because God let you in on a secret, I'm coming back. Coming back. And when I come back, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood of water. But instead, well, what does the Bible say? That the heavens are reserved uh, back and, and, and God's going to unleash them one day. And, and, and the earth and the elements thereof are going to burn with a fervent heat. The day of the Lord is, is coming. It's going to be like a thief in the night that's going to catch people off guard. It's, it's going to be like you know two, woman, two women grinding uh, corn and one taken and the other left and, and two sleeping in a bed and one taken and the other left. And, and it's coming. And when's the last time you got a glimpse of, this, of what God wanted to do and then you put yourself in that position and you said, Oh God, I know I'm okay, but they're not. 
That's intercession. I know we could talk about intercession, and I, I, I found it very interesting that Brother Mark Jordan, uh, I think it was Sunday night's message, if you recall, he talked about the, uh, uh, I think it was Sister Seminole maybe, I can't remember who, but, but one of the ladies that was praying, and in the midst of her praying, she just had the name of a man and, and the fact that it was water. Anybody remember that story they talked about? Said they found out later that, that he was, he was th- this man uh, was in a creek and had gotten swept away and, and, and it was a person that was interceding and I understand that's a part of it and, and, and I believe that happens and again that goes all the way back God let her in on a secret someone's in danger and I know we could look at that I, we, we could talk about it. I remember uh, uh, my, my wife and I before we were married we were dating I was at Gateway and, and I was going to pick her up for the Christmas banquet of my my, my sophomore year and I, w- I was leaving Hazelwood go- Florissant and going out to pick her up and right there in front of Mid-Rivers Mall Drive a, a tractor trailer hit about 11 cars I was the last one they hit and he caught on fire he exploded and, and I mean I saw cars that were rolling end over end and, and uh, I mean my truck had some damage but I was okay and there was a car trapped underneath the 18 the, the wheeler that was caught on fire and stopped traffic and they yanked this poor girl out and then it, you know, I mean, and then I found out later that, that about the same time all that happened, Brianna, she was getting ready, says she just felt the burden and she began to pray for me. She said, God, I don't know what's going on, but, but help Brandon, pray, you know, touch him, protect him, whatever. And, and so it's God letting someone in on a secret and, and we look at that and, and, and I, I'm with that man. I'm thankful she was praying right then. Otherwise, you might have a different pastor. But can I tell you to quit looking at intercession as those types of events? Because if that's what you think intercession is, you're missing out on a valuable and and, and powerful time of interceding right now. You don't have to wait for God to put some name of somebody and and say, you know, an earthquake's going to happen in Taiwan and a a piece of of, of sandstone is going to fall off the building and land on their head and crush them. And you need to pray for them right now. If you're waiting to intercede to that moment, you're missing out. Because there's an entire world that God has already told you what's going to happen to. And the I think what he's wanting is he's waiting to see, are you willing to go to where God is and have a relationship with God and commune with God so that when that time comes, you can pray and you can get the attention of God. Our prayers, they, they, they grab hold of God's attention. In the Bible, and we're going to hit some of these. You can start turning there now. Psalms chapter five and verse one. But but uh, they 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 get the intentions. the The Bible uses the phrase, and I I love the way it is. The Bible uses the phrase, "He inclines his ear." The word "inclines his ear" it it literally means that this is what he does. I want to hear what you're saying. I'm not this good, but my wife is, and. A lot of you mothers understand what I'm talking about. Seems that my son, Zeke, has a great aversion to the nursery downstairs. Some of you know that. And he likes to cry quite loud because we put him in the nursery. And then Dwayne decides to go get him. He's never going to learn to stay in the nursery. But it blows my mind. It can be, I, I, it did it with all my kids, Zane and Zoe included. 
My wife can hear 800 babies crying at one time and pick out the voice of hers. Any of you mothers do that? I'm not going to ask you dads because my wife says, uh, honey, all last night the baby cried. And I said, really? I didn't hear him one time. <laughs> uh, y'all are the same way. Do you know why the mother can hear the cry of her child? Because there's a relationship. And if I could again put God in human qualities... How many people in the world today now? What is it? Is it are we up to 7 billion or 8 billion? What, what is it? Huh? 7.6 billion people. And if all of them cry at one time, God inclines his ear. And he says, oh, Joe, I, I hear you. I hear you in the midst of all that noise. I know the child. The Bible says that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, but I'd like to also tell you that the shepherd knows the voice of the sheep. And if you have a relationship with him, and he inclines his ears. So Psalms chapter 5 and verse 1, and uh, actually I'm going to have to have that in the, in the King James. I was, I was reading all those, so put it up in the King James, brother. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. When's the last time you prayed, but you said, Lord, hear my prayer? Or, or I'm going to depend, who's back there, Brother Mike? I'm going to depend on you. Put up chapter Psalms 10, verse 17. And then after that, verse 17, verse 6. So Psalms 10, 17 says this. Let's see. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou will prepare thy heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. There is something about it where the Lord inclines his ear to hear. Verse seven, or chapter 17, verse 6. Still in Psalms, Psalm 17 and 6. I have called upon thee, for thou will hear me. O God, incline thy ear unto me and hear my speech. Look at Psalms 54, 2. And then Psalms 88, 2. Psalms 54, 2. I want you to catch what the, the psalmist is saying. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. And then 88, 2. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear to my cry. Over and over and over in the book of Psalms, you will see this. And there's other places. It goes in some of the Old Testament prophets. But what they were saying is, Lord, hear my cry. Hear what I have to say. I'm interceding. Lord, incline your ear. Can I just tell you that your prayers will get God's attention if you have a relationship with him. If he knows your voice. He knows your voice. If the only time you pray is when you need something, you might find that your prayers aren't answered quite the way you thought. And again, I, I know we should never compare others' worship. We should never c compare others' prayer. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice when you do that. Okay? Um, I've grown up in church long enough and I've heard people from the pulpit and outside the pulpit, I've heard them say things like, you know, you got to pray an hour a day. And the problem is when I hear that, I feel like i got to fill up a time slot and so I, I just say hallelujah for an hour and I love you Jesus and you're good. I say it for an hour and I filled up a time slot but I didn't get nowhere. But man, there's been some times when I only had five minutes but I got somewhere with God because it's not about the 
quantity of prayer, it's about the quality of prayer. So I'm very careful. I don't, I don't judge my prayer life against somebody's length of prayer life. And I don't judge my worship against somebody else's. So I, I, you do yourself a disservice. But can I just make this statement? Have you ever noticed someone that when they pray, they just seem to get God's attention more than anybody else? You know why? It's because God knows them. They're not just praying when the bank account goes empty. They're not just praying when, when, when their loved one is, is, is somehow, you know, on their deathbed and, 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 you know, now suddenly the life is ending and you're trying to figure it out. But, but they were praying when nothing is needed and they were worshiping and, and communing with God and that relationship with God and he, I, he's my friend and, and I, he knows me and, and he inclines his ear to me and, and because of that he, he hears and you get his attention. There's, there, there's two other places in the Bible, and I'm, I'm going to come to a close. Let Sister Morgan, the praise team, let them come. There's two other places in the Bible where, where you, could, you could say they interceded. One of them is found in the book of Acts, and it's, it's where Peter's in prison, and, and, and there, there's people in a house, and they're, they're praying, and they're interceding, and they're, and they're asking God to deliver Peter. And it's so cool because Peter, you know, the Lord shows up to Peter and looses him of his stocks. All, all the soldiers are falling asleep, and Peter and the angel walk out of prison. The doors open just automatically. And then you have this funny thing where he goes to the house and he knocks on the door and Rhoda opens it, realizes it's Peter and doesn't open the door. And she runs back in and she tells all the people, hey, Peter's outside. And they go, honey, you're, you're, you're crazy. You're, you're hallucinating. Um, we're praying for Peter to be released. Why don't you go get some sleep and we're going to keep praying for Peter's release. Peter's outside the door. If you're going to intercede, and I know this is so simple, but see, that's what I, I like simple. If you're going to intercede for somebody, why don't you expect the answer? Uh, see, th this is a problem that I think we have. We believe he can, but we, 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 we don't always think he will. Can, can I put that in... I believe God's a healer. I just don't think he's going to heal me. I believe God can save the world. I just don't think he can save my family. I believe God can turn a city around, just not O'Fallon. I believe God can build a church. I'm just not sure if it's here. You know, and we get that, that kind of weird faith. I know he can, I just don't think he will. But I'm asking you to not be like them when you're when you're interceding and when you're when you're when you've got the attention of God and you put yourself in the place of those that desperately need a touch and you're praying with the same fervency that they ought to be praying with don't you think about how you came to the Lord think about that moment the fervency of, the, of, of you, the sinner, when you finally realized I've sinned and come short of the glory of God, I, I, I dare say that, that you were not dry-eyed. In fact, I've been around church way too long to watch those tears run down men's faces and, and, and watch the, that, that sob and watch that heartbreak and that, that, that repentance that comes from the depths of their soul as they break down and say, God, I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you see that fervency. When's the last time you prayed with that fervency? 
for someone else because that ought to be how they should pray. Abraham put himself, and, and, and I believe Abraham, when he was interceding God, he, 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 was, he was praying the way those Sodom and Gomorrah people should have been getting God's attention. Hey, I failed you. Go back to Nineveh. You know, Nineveh, they repented, and God turned from his judgment. But when you intercede, will you just believe that at any moment, there's going to be a knock at a door? At any moment, that neighbor of yours or that family member of yours is going to get a hold of you and say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I, I can't hardly sleep. Something, something's happening. I can't get away from, from the word of God, and, and, and I, I'm lost. How do you do it? And you're expecting that knock on the door because God hears you and he intercedes. There's another type of intercession that I, I didn't want to start with because we'll if I, if I started with it, you, you, you'd just say, well, that sounds good to me because the other, side, you know, other part that I've talked about takes a little work. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He didn't realize that his walk with God and his righteous living was literally an intercession in and of itself. But I do... See that Noah listened to the secret of God. Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth with flood. I need you to build an ark. And because of that, Noah was able to save some. But again, Noah could have refused and he could have not built the ark and he could have heard the secret and done nothing about it. But remember, Matthew says, you got to hear the secret, but you got to proclaim it. That's the simplicity.